Alrighty, everybody. Welcome to the Barca Blogranas podcast. My name is Josh. I am joined by our good pal, Emil Avanesian. Emil, how are we doing today? Good, Josh. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm cold, like we were talking about before. It's starting to get uh, chilly here in the southeastern United States. Um, so this is uh, – I'm pretty excited to do this podcast for a couple of reasons. One, it's always enjoyable chatting <clears throat> to you. Two, um, last week I um, – I kind of just did like a you know a little bit like you know of news about Diego Maradona passing. I hadn't really mm-hmm. you know I was born in '95, <clears throat> so I, I missed Diego as a player, and so kind of my knowledge of him was just you know it was very very little. And so after he passed away, I watched the documentary, the Diego Maradona doc, and so we're going to talk about him <clears throat> a little bit later on. Um, first, you know this is a Barcelona podcast, so I figure we should talk about Barcelona just to you know for the for the hook for the podcast. But suppose um, we might as well. <laughs> so Barcelona, uh, they won a La, a La Liga match and they looked good doing it. Um, yes. What's the temperature and how are you feeling about Ronald Koeman? Like just right now, how are you feeling about him? I mean, I guess like luke lukewarm. I suppose. I mean, I don't even know if it's like lukewarm. It just kind of he's. <clears throat> Like, he's fine, but, I mean, I, I suppose he's less kind of embattled at this point than uh, sort of Setien or uh, Ernesto Valverde, you know, sort of in, you know, late period Ernesto Valverde. Um, I mean, I think some of that is a function simply of uh, Bartomeu and the, and the old board being out. And, you know, there's a, a election scheduled for late January for a new board. And so, I mean, I think there's that. I think a lot of the, so I think Koeman's gotten a little bit of, I mean, I think a little bit of respite because just all of that kind of, the the madness swirling around the, the board has died down. I mean, just in general though, they haven't, you know, I mean, how how many actual good performances can we, can we think of the the Barca Pat? You know, I mean, I think Not the last time you and I spoke, I think it was maybe can't remember. It was either three or four champ, uh, league games into the into the season, and I remember we talked about. I think they were just going to start the Champions League, so it was like they're going to have uh, Juventus then coming up in the Champions League and El Clasico. If I recall, I mean, I remember Barca started the season even if the you know. They weren't kind of converting as many goals as their kind of quality of play might have suggested. It looked really good in the in the opening stages, and to the point where I think when you and I spoke, uh, I think I said that I expected them to win El Clasico. I expected them to win sort of the the league games before and after that. I thought maybe they'd draw with Juventus in the Champions League, you know, whatever. But from there, kind of everything sort of went sideways. I mean, I know the Champions League has been going well, but as far as in the league, everything just went completely sideways. And this is like the strangest start to a Barcelona season I can <laughs> remember. Like, because, I don't know, like you said, so Barcelona are first in their Champions League group, um, assuming they they win today, uh, or mm-hmm. even, you know, do decent today. Like, they're, they're in pole position to get first place in their group, uh, despite the fact that, you know, the question has been posed over and over again, like, how are Barcelona leading the Champions League group? And th- there's a variety of reasons, right? Like one, when they played Juventus, Juventus were kind of injury riddled. Uh, Ronaldo mm-hmm. didn't play. COVID had impacted, I think, one or two of their players. Um, still an impressive win, nevertheless. But like you said, yeah. I-, I don't understand necessarily how they've managed to right the ship in the Champions League and in La Liga have just looked like utter crap. 
I mean, it's it's really true. It's it's kind of staggering. I mean, it was yes, always forget. Sort of since uh, since that awful, awful classical performance. Yeah, so they beat Juventus in, in the Champions League. But in the league, yeah, it's just been draw against Alaves. Um, yeah, they, they looked. I guess they looked good beating beating Betis. But then you know lost to Atletico. And I mean, I think it's just sort of every time it feels like they're you know maybe they've put together a good performance and it feels like, you know, they might be, might be ready to springboard onto something better. They just kind of just lay an egg. And um, that's my, that's my sort of hesitance with this. I mean, I don't know how much of it um, goes, you know, directly to Kuman, how much of it is sort of the personalities of the players, because I know now, you know, sort of, it'll be interesting to see sort of with, uh, PK out and um, you know, kind of having to having to pull together the the back line and you know, sort of find find the leadership back there and everything. I don't know how much of the sort of the inconsistency and the and the all over the map performances comes from the on pitch personalities. How much of it we attribute to Kuman? Um, so I don't know. I mean, what's your? I guess what is your impression? I mean, it, I guess in general and specific to this team. What is your thought, like when there's a team that's clearly talented and capable of being great on a given day, but they simply aren't? How do you sort of dole out the the responsibility? I I almost feel like everyone's getting an unfair shake just due to the economic instability of Barcelona right now. Like I, mm-hmm. and we've talked about the whole idea of Barcelona rebuilding and what does that even mean? Because th- they can't rebuild um, mm-hmm. when you have Leo Messi and his still in his you know his post prime but still the best you know one of the best couple players in the world um you don't really have the ability to to rebuild you kind of have to do the lebron james and rebuild on the fly um and so i i don't know every time there's a bad result right like you know i, I look at our twitter account and we've just received you know the hashtag kumans out just over and over again and <laughs> I, I i talked about this last week in my uh you know what i'm thankful for covering barcelona is is the insane fans and so i don't necessarily I don't necessarily know how to dole out blame because, um, you know, you know, there's people who after a bad Griezmann performance will just, you know, blame Griezmann or if Kuman doesn't, you know, pick the right midfield formula, we'll blame Kuman. I don't know who to blame because, you know, granted Barcelona have two matches in hand versus Real Sociedad. Uh, they have the same number of matches as Atletico Madrid and they're 10 points behind in the league. Uh, you know, with around 10 matches played for most teams, like that's not a small that's not like an eensy tiny sample size, right? Like that's, no. the, the, there's there's a good sample size that Barcelona are still kind of floundering in the league. And I wouldn't necessarily, I'm not going to dismiss their Champions League performance, but uh, I'm not necessarily confident that they're going to um, look that impressive in the last 16. And, you know. the I think that's kind of the thing. Like, yeah. Like, remember the, when whatever it was, I guess like you know, was it four years ago or kind of those four out of the five years when when Real Madrid were just ripping off Champions League win after Champions League win, it was almost I don't know if they actually publicly said it, but it was sort of almost taken as a given that they were. I mean, I don't want to say like they were they weren't punting or like mailing in the league, but they were clearly like they they measured themselves by the Champions League, like they if they lose the league, but win the Champions League, that's a success for them. Um, and so, 
it'd be cool if we could kind of chalk that up to Barcelona and we're like, you know, hey, you know, they're they're prioritizing the Champions League over over La Liga and you know they want to get Messi another Champions League medal and things like that. I just don't have the confidence that like that they planned this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's way too early to attribute any sort of tactical prowess to this because in, there's also part of this which is like, you know, Real Madrid are performing far less than uh, any of us would expect. That they're sitting third in their Champions League group. I'm pretty sure they're fourth in La Liga. They've haven't looked as bad as Barcelona in the league, but just you know they have two of losses in their last three matches, um, three in their last six, and so. I don't know. Part of me has trouble figuring out like how much of this is due to a shorter off season. Um, you know, COVID is still impacting things to a certain extent. Well, not to a certain extent. COVID is still very much impacting things. Um, and this is just, this is a weird year because Barcelona are going through one of the most interesting times in the club's recent history. Like we continuously talk about presidential elections are coming up. Kuman you know, regardless of really who gets elected president is going to be, I mean, you're in the hot seat immediately at Barcelona, but especially now mm-hmm. where like, he's going to be, you know, a new president's going to be coming in and like, he's not going to be the guy who hired Kuman. So, uh, I, no, I mean, I think anything short of, uh, I mean, the league is, I mean, I suppose that they want a kind of an insane run and just kind of, you know, rip off something like, I mean, I don't even know out of like the last, what 29 games i mean if they rip off something like you know 80 points and if they get like 78 or 80 out of less 87 points win the league and you know they'd almost have to win the league champions league double i feel like for kuman to be guaranteed you know a, a return next year particularly if uh you know, I think it's Font is the candidate who's so kind of closely linked to, to Xavi. And that's the, that's kind of the presumptive sort of uh, successor in a way, you know? I mean, and yeah, I mean, I don't know what the, yeah, like I, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of struggling to sort of, uh, to, uh, kind of put together the thought that I'm trying, but you look at the team and I don't understand where the focus truly is. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I think it's it feels very scatterbrained. Yeah. I think it's nominally the Champions League and, you know, the, I will say sort of the supporting factors are kind of like the, you know, not only supporting, essentially the, the non-Leo Messi attackers are actually playing better i mean particularly yeah so i uh, I wanted to talk about griezmann and braithwaite so just like griezmann and braithwaite in the last couple matches have looked really good so just give me your thoughts on those guys because they're those are two very essential players for barcelona if they're going to have success in either the league or the champions league yeah i agree i mean i think uh well you and i think have talked about griezmann so many times oh yeah and it's look i mean the the thing is and it always kind of came back to like we know this guy is good, you know what I mean? Like he's he's been this sort of top line striker for, you know, one of the a perennial kind of top two three team in La Liga for years, and you know he he's you know one of the one of the top like he's a starting attacker for the World Cup champions who are absolutely just bursting with attacking talent. So like it's it wasn't that he couldn't, but it was more kind of like for some reason he he wasn't or didn't. 
Um, he's actually, he's looked great in the last, last couple of weeks. And I mean, I think the, I think kind of finding the net for him was, you know, was really important because I can't remember which game it was, but I think there was one game where he, he might've even scored, I believe. Um, but he missed something like three or four kind of pretty sort of on a silver platter chances. And that was kind of the point where I feel like a little bit the, the uh, Griezmann hate sort of crested and it was just sort of, come on, just sell him, get what you can for him. Like he's, you know, cut your losses, everything like that. I mean, I think for him, it was good to sort of uh, get a run of games, um, see the ball hit the net. I mean, he and Messi have played, you know, fairly well together. And, they, and the thing is, the two of them, for all the talk that's kind of swirled around, you know, can they play together? They keep sort of saying the right things, you know? Like there, there doesn't seem to be sort of a, a, an emotional or kind of a mental rift between the two. So it's, uh, it is really nice to see him kind of find form. You know what I mean? It's, you feel like this would actually probably be more the norm than kind of the, the perpetually struggling version of him. So that's been great. And as far as briefly, um, I'm, I don't know, even when they signed him, I know it was like a strange signing and the circumstances under which they got him were stranger still, you know, like the, the emergency transfer where they, uh, where he was a Leganes and they, they just kind of triggered his, his release clause and whatever, and just kind of parachuted him in because whatever, like poor, <laughs> poor little Barcelona had too many injuries. I know the whole thing was just super awkward when he, when he arrived. And like on the surface, he doesn't look like sort of the, the, the Galactico-esque, you know, uh, striker that you'd imagine Barcelona just dropping into their front line. That being said, like he's an, like, I think he's kind of an excellent player. I, I really like him. He has, he's really athletic. He's really fast. Um, you know, he kind of, he works like hell, you know what I mean? He, he works really hard. Um, and kind of, I think kind of emotionally or in terms of, in terms of kind of ego, he is sort of perfectly situated for, for this team because he is a, you know, sort of physically gifted and, you know, talented player, but he didn't come in, I don't know, almost with this sort of uh, massive self expectations. Self-conceived notion of I'm a superstar, I yeah. lead the line type of thing. No, so I mean, I, I'm going to be very disappointed. So there was talk about selling him in January and all this stuff, and I, mm-hmm. I think I think that that would be a that was a horrible move beforehand, just because of the one what you're going to get for him is not going to fund any sort of like large scale transfer, and two, yeah. like in the small sample sizes he's been given, I think he's been very solid, like very. Um, he yeah. I mean, he's lived up to what they paid for him, right? And I would oh, be totally. and, and so disappointed. Is, he's, so, he, he's young too. Yeah, and I would be disappointed if he doesn't get consistent playing time from here on out. I'm not saying start the guy. I'm just saying like when Barcelona look lethargic in any of these league matches or in the Champions League, I don't understand why. When you have, I mean, basically what they're going to have moving forward, right, is they're going to have a Dembele and a Braithwaite on the bench ready for Kuman to put in in the second half if yeah. they need an offensive boost. Like, I, I, I don't know what else you could really ask for, <laughs> right? It's true. 
To be fair, I, I should I should I should correct myself. I was actually mistaken. He's a, a he's twenty nine, which is a little bit older than I expected. But uh, I mean, he's he's uh, younger than most of like I mean, if you think about it, like oh, I'll, totally. I'll take him versus a lot of the older players that they were linked with for like a short term deal. And I mean, I don't know, like I, I just said, it. like to bring any of those guys on in the second half, like Kumit, and we always laughed at Kike's weird substitution patterns, but like. Kuman has attacking options off the bench, so there's not really a ton of excuses uh, in terms of what they can do offensively. And like they looked great in the league over the weekend, scoring four goals. Um, so hopefully, yeah. hopefully he's he's getting a sense of what Braith White can bring to the table, what a Dembele off the bench can bring in short bursts, whether it's as a um, as a decoy or whatever. Like you know, Coutinho coming back into health. Like there are, there are options for Barcelona in the attack. Um, the 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 defensive injury situation is not great. Um, yeah. And so th- they're, they're going to need a healthy offensive attack to uh, to kind of combat that. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think, I mean, I know the the news came out for uh, for Clement Langlet, and that was, I guess, positive, right? Like his, you know, he's still he was injured, but it's not as uh, it's not as serious as was initially uh initially feared but um you know i mean with pk out with with langlet now uh now banged up and i mean umtiti sort of perpetually injured you know i mean it's uh, they're kind of running a, a fairly threadbare squad and i mean particularly on the back line and i don't know what you know i mean i think they just have to kind of I don't even know. I mean, you sort of have to hunker down and yeah, they're going to have to win some games by outscoring people until, um, until they get healthier at the back. And I think until some of the, uh, some of the guys that they put in, some of the younger guys that they put in sort of find some sort of relationship with one another and get used to sort of the, the gaming game out playing time. I want to talk a little bit about Diego Maradona. So um, Diego obviously yeah. passed away. Um, I had some brief thoughts last week and then kind of went back and realized I needed to be a bit more of a historian regarding him just because I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't alive. You know, he wasn't someone on my um, radar very much. So I watched mm-hmm. the, the Diego Maradona doc, which was excellent. Um, mm-hmm. to obviously it is excellent. Yeah. Focus on his time at Napoli because um, his time at Barcelona obviously didn't go as planned. And uh, Luis wrote a really good piece on the site kind of talking about that. There's been a lot of revisionist history. Um, kind of looking at his time at Barcelona. Um, just like, just before I get kind of your thoughts on it, some of the, and, and, and this is where like, you know, you just, you you learn history kind of as it comes towards you. And like, I never really was like, hey, let me do some research on the 1990 World Cup. Um, mm-hmm. The Argentina versus Italy match in Napoli is like one of the most insane concepts. Like y- you could make that up and pitch it to me. And I'd be like, no, that that's not realistic based off the circumstances. Like he was coming to, you know, it was it was the straw that broke the camel's back or whatever with his time in Napoli. Like you literally can't yeah. make that up. And, and that match happened like that's in, and it was like and it was it was emphasized in the doc. But it was like his career was so insane and his time at Napoli was so wild. I, I can't get yeah. over that that match happened. Yeah, I mean, that that's absolutely ridiculous. And sort of the yeah, his his attempts to kind of uh, rally the rally the locals against the Italians. Crazy. You right? Um, I mean, it's I mean the the funny thing is, is like 
the the way he's sort of revered there now, uh, you're kind of surprised that it didn't work. You know what I mean? Like, I'm surprised he wasn't able to turn the entire like Sao Paulo against Italy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean the that match in and of itself. I mean, yeah, you think about sort of the this like embattled genius, best player in the world, kind of in the city where in his sort of adopted hometown city where he's sort of icon, but on the outs again. Yeah, like that was, I wish I had seen that game live. You know I mean? I don't even think I've ever seen it in its entirety. I've seen, I've seen sort of highlights and I've watched, um, you know, kind of like highlight videos of World Cup 90 and things and stuff like that. But that kind of, while I was, uh, you know, sort of, I had, I had been born and I was old enough to have watched it. I mean, I was like 10 or 11. And at that point, kind of the, the bug hadn't bitten me yet. And uh, so it was kind of World Cup 94 was my, my uh, huge indoctrination to just sort of really kind of deeply caring about football and like watching the games. And yeah, I mean, I, I, wish I, I wish I could have watched that game live. And I mean, by live, even just like, like on TV. But that is absolutely insane. I so mean, and what do you remember on. about Diego growing up? Like, was he, you mentioned 94 was kind of when you were indoctrinated into football. Um, like, what was your perception of him? Like, when did you kind of, when did he come onto your radar as a football fan? So it was kind of, so a lot of, I guess the initial kind of almost even, not even the foundation, but kind of the, the breaking ground for uh, whatever football education I'd have. Sort of came in like 93 to nine, early 94 as sort of USA 94 as the World Cup was coming up. Cause it was, you know, it was gonna be a huge deal. It was, you know, I was in, like I was in middle school and it was gonna be during summer vacation. So you're gonna be watching all the games. And like, so I started learning more and more. And I think I mentioned this, but um, so my, my dad grew up overseas. And so he sort of, his first and only, or, you know, kind of his first sports love was European football. So he grew up kind of knowing, you know, Cruyff and Beckenbauer and this and that and whatever. So I started talking to him about, you know, who's good and this and that and whatever. And so he told me, you know, Argentina, this guy, Maradona is amazing. Now, um, we didn't get into at the time sort of the, like how embattled he was, <laughs> you know, sort of how he was kind of in decline because of, rampant drug use and things like that but like so I was first kind of made aware of Maradona at that point and so obviously we watched the games and he only played the first two games because he failed a drug test after the second game um and I remember everyone always kind of brings up the in the first game I think they beat they beat Greece for nothing and he had this sort of a, a quintessentially perfect Maradona ball from like more or less straight away kind of at the top of the at the top of the box and he just perfectly kind of curled an 18 yard strike into the into the top corner and so it was absolutely perfect and then he did that kind of screaming celebration right into the camera and i know sort of like there's a there's a whole thing of like oh that was like his coked up celebration or whatever i don't think that's what that is I mean, I think that was sort of the, the final throws of kind of, I think this is the guy that was so kind of, I don't even know, preternaturally confident or assured of his place like at the very top of the game. 
And I think the years leading up to that had been, frankly, probably, you know, had been brutal for him in terms of just, you know, the, I think like his, his drug use and his sort of off pitch, I don't know, issues or behavior was starting to, to really catch up with him and have a really detrimental effect. And on, on the pitch, he just, he'd be, you know, he'd become a little bit more injury prone and just honestly, years of, years of drug use makes it hard to stay at the, at the pinnacle. And so, I mean, I think that was sort of the most, I don't know, it was, it was very primal, you know, but it felt like kind of a guy reclaiming his old throne or thinking that he was reclaiming his old throne. Um, and so that was largely the extent of my seeing Diego play live or like in real time is limited to those two games. But it was kind of after that I started, um, you know, I kind of started to read what I could. You know, I got my hands on a, you know, on a book or two. And then it was sort of, once we got into <clears throat> sort of, you know, late nineties and you could at least go on the internet and like see stuff. I mean, you still couldn't even really like stream anything. Um, you know, I started learning more and more, but one of the great things was around that time in the late nineties, my dad got me a DVD. It's actually in Italian and it's called seven years in Naples or, you know, the, the equivalent in, in Italian. And it's basically just a DVD of sort of Maradona's seven years in, in Napoli. And that was kind of the, the first window I got into the, a little bit of the madness that, that surrounded this guy. And then, you know, I mean, obviously I'd heard about 1986 and how sort of he'd been the, he turned in the single greatest World Cup performance in, you know, that's ever been. And, you know, essentially the, the narrative goes, he single-handedly dragged Argentina to the World Cup. And, you know, I mean, he just, he was this endlessly fascinating figure. And it was almost like, as I got older too, and sort of, you know, learned about the world and sort of, you figure out sort of who this guy was, where he came from and where he'd, where he'd gone and what had happened to him along the way and, you know, everything like that. I mean, he was just, I mean, for me, he's kind of the, I think he's like the single most, I don't know, I mean, it might be too big a shout, but I mean, he's on the very, very short list of the most compelling athletes that have ever lived, certainly that have ever lived in my lifetime, but, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any kind of, I don't think there's any limit to how much kind of digging and uh, theorizing and, you know, uh, uh, deliberating what you can do about his, whether it's his career, his early life, his, uh, you know, his post-playing, you know, managerial career, the, the, I don't know, the, the hanging out with, like, Hugo Chavez and Fidel Castro, and then, you know, I mean, it was everything, just sort of being a, a, a almost a literal god in, in Naples and Argentina, and, you know, there's just, there's so much. I mean, it, he is the most kind of, I don't know, he's just the most eventful athlete. I think that uh, at least that's existed in my lifetime. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the prime example of, I can't imagine, like him and Jordan are both like the, what if social media was around when these guys were, when Jordan was yeah. out in Chicago at night or when Maradona was doing his thing in Italy. Um, yeah. And in that documentary, I was surprised by sort of how much documentation of that crazy life there was. 
Um, yeah. Like you don't see, you don't see, I mean, there, there's some video of Jordan, like at the casinos and stuff and at the golf course, mm-hmm. but there's not that much. Um, mm-hmm. There was a lot of footage of Diego. <laughs> yeah. It, it, he well, like wasn't really the... ashamed of it kind of thing. No. And I think that's honestly, I think that's like the biggest thing about it too, is that he, um, you know, I mean, I think like later in his life, he, you know, he kind of talked about, you know, things he might've done differently or whatever, but I don't, actually think that his was at all kind of a, a life of regret and I think every step of the way too even it was just I mean I don't I don't think this this dude didn't do moderation you know what I mean I mean the I mean it's a it's a different example but I, I know kind of um when when Ronaldinho finally kind of like definitively retired um I think I wrote this, I definitely had this conversation with somebody where it was kind of talking about how so much of the conversation around Ronaldinho was like, oh, you know, if he just, if he just kind of gone out a little bit less and kind of like, you know, not boosted up quite as much and, you know, trained a little bit harder, can you imagine what a, what an amazing and long and fruitful career he would have had instead of sort of the, the four year, like ultra bright peak that he did. And my thought was always like, I don't know that you would act like I don't think that would, I don't think it works that way. Like to to suddenly have Ronaldinho be someone who was home by ten thirty and you know only had a couple of drinks you know with dinner and then called it a night. Like I don't think you get the the brilliance that sort of came hand in hand with that. Like I don't think we get to kind of cherry pick the the parts of the personality that that we that we keep and the ones that we don't. And I mean I think both of those personalities were kind of they just absolutely, I don't even know, like kind of hoovered up life as, as they could. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, kind of... th- that was always the thing that people said about like Babe Ruth too, was like, man, if Babe Ruth or Larry Bird, like if those guys weren't like drinking and smoking all the time, like what, yeah. what could they have been? And I think the reason it's like that is because you look at Lionel Messi and LeBron James and they kind of, they've yeah. cut out everything else. They've like trimmed the fat, uh, yeah. so to say. And I, I think you, you wonder like, wow, could, you know, Maradona or Babe Ruth or, um, you know, anyone else have, you know, extended their careers? And like the answer is probably yes. But like you said, it also like, I don't know, Diego, I don't kind think I realized. Like, would he have been very good for 15 years? Like sort of very, like not forgettable, but sort of generically very, very good for 15 years rather than sort of this. I don't even know, like universe bending icon, you know, over the course yeah. of six or seven. I mean, in, in that documentary, they talk about how like, you know, he had to be, you know, it was like this altered alternate personality was Maradona. Right. And yeah, I, I think even if you take, you know, your argument, like, well, maybe if you take some of that stuff, like, I, I don't know. I think if you take cocaine out of anything, it probably would have been better. <laughs> you know, no, I mean, look, I, I, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure from a purely physical perspective, it absolutely would happen. <laughs> I mean, it, the, 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 the timelines were insane. It was like he was partying till Wednesday and then like cleansing himself well, till the weekend. Yeah, he had the three-day sweat. <laughs> yeah, he would, yeah, he'd go like, yeah, the three-day detox and then just rinse and repeat. Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. I mean, like, I mean, I guess the, I remember when I wrote about when Ronaldinho in this context, I was like, look, Ronaldinho is not Ryan Giggs. He's not Paolo Maldini. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's not the guy who's going to like do yoga and, you know, 
completely like optimize his his training and his diet. Like, and I think you know Maradona was very much the same way. I think it's, but I think it's that. I think there's that extra spark that it's it's the intangible that sort of elevated him. You know, on like on the pitch and sort of as a personality to this completely sort of unimaginable larger than life figure. Because I mean, we talk about like uh, Messi or or LeBron or uh, kind of the the two great examples right now. Um, Look, I mean, they're both, I mean, they're, they're the two, arguably the two greatest who've ever played their sports and absolutely brilliant. But outside of sort of what they've done on a pitch, I, I mean, neither of them is sort of a, a particularly compelling or interesting, you know what I mean? Like LeBron's, you know, LeBron's super smart and like everything he's doing is fantastic, but there's not anything sort of, there's that extra little bit missing where like, you kind of have a good sense of what LeBron's going to do. He's going to take very good care of himself. He's going to do this and that, you know, whatever. He's going to do everything the right way. I think like Leo, to a large extent, is the same. And I think there's that extra sort of that powder keg, you know, that, that wild card element to sort of, uh, to Maradona. And, you know, I mean, it almost sounds silly to even compare anyone else to him. I mean, he's, he was a legitimate kind of one-off and there will unequivocally never be, I don't even know if there will ever be a celebrity, let alone an athlete that just, I mean, essentially just goes through his entire life. Like, I mean, just not giving a solitary damn, you know, sort of just, just flipping the bird to anyone who tries to tell him how to do stuff and still kind of in, you know, in a sense and in, in sort of, in the eyes of history, kind of coming out on top. Uh, I mean, if anything, like, if anyone tries to be Maradona with all that, with all that that entails, they would either be shoved into rehab, cut, marginalized, playing in the lower leagues, no matter how good they are. You know what I mean? Guys who've been supremely talented and less of a headache than Maradona are, see their, you know, see their careers get marginalized or, you know, just essentially stall out. I mean, there's just, he, he was like, he was a true, true one-off. Yeah. Um, An incredibly tragic figure. It's kind of weird even talking about him. You almost kind of want to like, it's just, it feels like words don't do it or you're kind of like, how, what can I say that will actually encompass this whole thing? And you can't. Like, it was just such a completely like, just bonkers like roller coaster yeah i mean i i watched the documentary on it on my flight last week and it was one of those things where it was like at the end i was kind of stunned into silence like right (laughs) i never had any and the documentary is excellent but even like you said it's like it's hard to put into however long it was like an hour and a half two hours even that was difficult to fully contextualize like what it must have been like to exist in the same world as diego maradona at his peak um, yeah, he was just to be he in was his orbit, other world. You know? <laughs> yeah, just to be like vaguely in his orbit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just people can tell you. I guess it's one of those things. Like, people can describe what it was like to walk into a nightclub with him or to go to one of those crazy parties or watch him play and stuff like that. But I feel like, and I think that's where sort of the the insanity and kind of the the almost like religious reverence of him comes up is I think the people that were there kind of uh, 
but felt it in a completely different way. I mean, I think there was sort of a visceral element that just defies kind of, at the very least, like concise uh, explanation or, you know, uh, even communication. You can almost just be like, look, man, like, unless you know, you really don't know. <laughs> totally. Um, okay, well, so what are you working on? Uh, kind of just wrapping things up. Uh, I have actually, um, along the lines of what we've been talking about, um, I have actually been working on a little something, just kind of, at least some sort of summation of thoughts on on Diego. Um, I mean, it's, on the one hand, it's, it's extremely difficult to kind of write anything about Diego just because sort of there's so much already out there. And it's, it's you know, it, it's one of those things. It's one of those like absurdist exercises. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm working on a I'm working on something like that for the site, and also um, just have some thoughts on uh, sort of uh, kind of the, the the state of sort of the messy Barcelona situation, and um, so kind of those are I'm just going to be putting those up on on the site on uh, Hardwood Hype, and additionally, I mean I think you and I have talked about it, but both at uh, these days I've actually been doing a lot of work on. Uh, the just writing about kind of researching and writing about the the restaurant and culinary technology industries and uh, so uh, a lot of the work that I've been doing there has been on uh, emerging.com and um, uh, another of the sites that I've written for is hacking.finance uh, I can send you the links for those as well but uh, yeah so I've been kind of uh, for at least the last couple of months I've been sort of detoured from uh, from sports a little bit and uh, I've been writing a lot about restaurants and food. Well, there you go. It's a good time to write about restaurants and food given, given everything that we're going through, obviously. So. Well, yeah, it's been more so the, uh, it's been a lot of, uh, you know, sort of writing sort of horrific doomsday scenarios of the restaurant industry and then trying to find sort of uh, nuggets of kind of optimism within that. And uh, yeah, so what I mean, I'm actually kind of very focused on, uh, on Diego and uh, sort of the the messy Barcelona relationship, which is actually like the the entire premise of that is, uh, you know, the I don't think it's quite as sort of perilous as it once was, but you realize that after today, there's like a non-zero chance that Messi has like six games left for Barcelona. What? Wait, uh, the the math is confusing me a little bit. What, why, well, I, mean, well, I, guess, no, I mean, I guess he wouldn't leave on January first. But essentially, like, if City were to come in, you know, we're assuming right. it's going to the City. But like, if the window opens up in January, and City are like, ah, screw it. Well, then, yeah, we'll we'll throw nine figures. Just uh, to, there's there's no shot. They're gonna. I mean, they would get him free in like six months. But I I I, I get what you're saying. It's not zero percent. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, but like for so long it, it was. But this is actually one of those times where you're like, holy crap! Like when is January? Like in January, no less. Like in mid season, like it's never been a thought. And now you're like, oh man! Like you have to actually like dedicate, you know, sort of two percent of your brain to thinking about like, what if City swoop in and just buy Messi away from Barcelona in January, no less. Like midway through a season. It's crazy times. Um... I know. Emil, I got nothing else for you. Thanks for joining me. Stay safe, my friend. Josh, thank you very much, man. You too. Uh, take care. Stay, stay warm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I will uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to catch up again soon. Chat again soon. All right.